Welcome to the Ether. Today is Tuesday, June 6, 2023. Today on the Ether, USK Silk Pools coming to Shade Protocol. Hosted by Red Eyed Bear and Carter Wetzel from Shade Protocol. Let's take a listen. Welcome, welcome, Carter. How's it going? Going good, going good. Another <laughs> day building. Feel that. Thank you, everyone, for being here on time. We're going to give this another minute or so for people to join. Um, I know the uh, the Kujira team right now is uh, traveling, so they might be just a wee bit late uh, to the Twitter space. But I'm going to give this a few more minutes, and then we'll kick this conversation off. Great seeing this many people already here. It's exciting. Yes, I think the Kujira team, due to traveling abroad, there was some last second hiccup so we might uh schedule another twitter space to be able to have dove dove and crew on so in the interim we will still talk about uh the usk and so we'll maybe run through the significance of some of it and even some of the questions you've compared um prepared uh red we can still we can still walk through and we'll, we'll keep this to a condensed 30 minute space instead of an hour keep this as dynamic as possible and still uh, make use of the space sounds like a plan well, then to make the best use of our time, we can go ahead and kick this off. We've got a good group of people already here. Uh, thank you all for joining this Twitter space. We're going to be talking about the upcoming launch of the USK, or actually, it's already happened. The recent launch <clears throat> of the USK Silk Pool on Shade Swap, um, some upcoming collaborations between uh, the Kujira team and the Shade Protocol team. And so, before uh, we dive right into the conversation, Carter, would love for you to be able to introduce yourself and for anyone who is not aware exactly of what Shade Protocol is, maybe give a high-level description of uh, Shade Protocol. Sure. So a bit about myself, Carter Wetzel here. I'm the lead researcher at Shade Protocol, been in the space since 2017, um, spent the first three years of the journey learning a lot about DeFi and realizing that it was transparent and spent kind of the next three years getting involved and falling down the private DeFi rabbit hole and, and potential. And for the last two years, have been building out with a really good group of folks, Shape Protocol. And the whole, the whole vision of Shape Protocol is for DeFi to be truly unstoppable, to truly be uh, accessible at a large scale. We're going to need encrypted smart contracts. We're going to need data privacy for DeFi. Um, whether you're a business conducting commerce on a blockchain, whether you're a you know highly involved trader that wants to hide your trading strategies or someone that's into leverage products or someone that doesn't want to have to battle against programmatic um, threat actors in the form of minor extractable value. Regardless, total transparency in many situations is a bug and not a feature. 
And Shade Protocol is the first ever cohesive set of privacy-preserving DeFi products. To date, everything in crypto has focused on transactional privacy, but no one's actually built out a full suite of private DeFi you know, applications all working together. And so as time has gone on, I can confidently say that Shape Protocol is the most mature set of private DeFi tools in crypto right now. Actually, I feel pretty, pretty confident about that if you exclude transactional privacy from that equation. So if you're someone that cares about privacy, you care about sovereignty, and you still love what decentralized finance can unlock, whether it's, you know, lending or stable coins or trading, then Shape Protocol is really the community and platform for you. That was a great summary, Carter. Really appreciate that. Um, for anyone who isn't aware of kind of the history and backstory of Shade Protocol, the, the story of Shade Protocol really started in 2021. And there were a lot of big moments uh, since the inception of this idea, kind of the, the birthing of the white paper and the actual beginning of the building of the Shade Protocol suite of applications. There were a lot of really big learning opportunities and learning moments along that way. And I think one of the most obvious ones was the crash of Terra that caused a pretty big shift in the design of Silk, the native stablecoin for Shade Protocol. And Carter, I'm curious, um, what other what other learning moments uh, do you think were really defining for the Shade Protocol suite of applications? I think you know this question is applicable. I think for both the Kujira community and the Shade Protocol community, considering. Kujira was kind of birthed out of the dying of uh, the Terra ecosystem or the collapse of the Terra ecosystem. So curious about what you think some of the biggest learning moments for Shade Protocol was. Sure. So let's let's run it back to December of 2021. Uh, UST is climbing to over 20 billion UST in circulation. We have north of 800 developers building on the Terra blockchain. Uh, institutional adoption is approaching Terra and UST, this very powerful story that if we're going to have this decentralized blockchain commerce, that there's going to have to be a decentralized stablecoin that undergirds all of it, uh, that we can't trust USDC and USDT. We're going to need some type of stablecoin that is kind of outside of the realm of any individual threat actors control. And this was a huge rallying cry. I mean, there was, I would, I would say hundreds and thousands of people around the world that believed in what UST can be and what stable coins could unlock. Um, another, another piece of the puzzle is, is remittance fees, right? Like the fact that someone um, in South America could send, you know, monies cross-border to someone in Asia without any additional, you know, 15% fee and, and the pain of having to interact with multiple banks, lots of different like red tape pieces like this, this, this currency is, you know, transcended borders. That's what UST was capable of doing. And, and it maintained its value to the US dollar, which has this, you know, amazing global prominence. And so that was, that was December. I actually remember being at like this Terra event, we actually just released a video called uh, Dear Terra, Dare to Hope Again. And it actually has some video footage of that event. I was actually there. We, I, I was in the room when people chanted UST, UST. When, when people walked around the room with this, this kind of 
philosophical fervor that it was us versus the institutions and that decentralized stable coins were going to win, right? And then May 7th rolls around and UST collapses and more happened in that day than just people losing massive amounts of their financial livelihood. More, more importantly, the more painful thing is that I think uh, a, a hope was crushed because people, people actually believed in it. It was, it was, they genuinely believed in, in, in what UST could do. And so that hope impacted normal community members. It, it impacted the builders that got, you know, afterwards scattered out into cosmos, scattered out maybe back to web two. And this thesis behind what stable coins could be, suddenly it went dark. It went quiet because builders were scared to vocalize the why behind stable coins. Because that's what UST had done, right? It had it gotten people excited about the vision for what stable coins can do. And then that happens. And so you're afraid, you're afraid to go out there and say, Hey, actually, I think, I think stable coins are these amazing tools. When, when people lost billions of dollars, when, when really, really dark things happen to people and people went to dark places because they put their financial li livelihoods in the, and their belief behind it. And so that, I think that's the, the big pivot point in Silk story and Kajira's story is these are example of projects that haven't lost the plot. Many people have lost the plot, but these are these are two protocols, Shape Protocol and Kajira, that haven't lost the plot because many of the builders and the community members were, were there. They're they're part of the terror community. They they saw what happens when in, when in, when an inspired decentralized community comes together and build towards a vision, what you can do, what you can shift, what you can change. And I think the greatest pivot point is the builders had a choice. They had a choice to walk away. They had a choice to give up. They had a choice to say, you know what? There's too much risk. I don't wanna be the next Doquan. I don't wanna be the next builder that launches something gets people to believe in it and then it breaks it's too much risk it's too much stress too much pressure but shape protocol kept going kajir kept going the builders kept building and the community slowly but surely surely two years later are daring to hope again despite ftx despite ust despite usdcd pegging despite despite three-letter agencies despite all of that People are, I think people are starting to believe again in what these protocols can do and, and the why behind them. And uh, I think that's the most important pivot point. That was very eloquently put, Carter. And I, I would have to agree with you. Um, you know, I was not one of the people that lost anything in the collapse of UST, but I witnessed firsthand the collapse of a lot of communities um, just from the pure sentiment and sort of what what that crash um, did to a lot of communities. And so I would, I would totally agree that, you know, seeing and really thinking about the inception of the, the two biggest DeFi 
powerhouses right now in Cosmos, or one of the two biggest DeFi powerhouses right now in Cosmos, um, rising up from the, colla- uh, the collapse of previous incumbents, uh, it evokes a lot of thoughts. And the first one that comes to my mind, it's a bit uh, analogous, but it's the rebirth of the phoenix from the ashes. Um, you know, markets and tech stacks go through cycles of innovation and contraction and expansion. And both Kajira and Shade Protocol have risen from the ashes, metaphorically speaking. And and from that, two beautiful ecosystems have been, have been birthed that are pushing the current standards for UI, UX, efficiency, accessibility for global financial markets. Um, and there's something that you've said in particular, Carter, in the past that um, you you laid it out very eloquently, and I just want to share it here. Um, there are two things that are extremely hard to fork, community and integrations. And so obviously the, the Kajira community and the Shade Protocol community share a lot of commonalities, but I'm curious, Carter, uh, from your perspective, obviously Shade Protocol is built in the secret network. Um, Privacy as a human right is, you know, kind of built into the core of what Shade Protocol is building. And so I'm curious if there are other any big takeaways that you've seen when it uh, when it comes to the growth and interaction with the uh, with the Shade Protocol community kind of post terror crash uh, moving into where we're at right now. That's a really good question. Um, I'll actually start with what I admire about the Kajira community and then I'll transition over to the the shade side of things. Um, one thing I really like about Kajira's community is there's like this consistent excitement for the present moment. I think I think it's really easy from an investor standpoint because many people are coming at the crypto space from an investor standpoint to only be worried about like what's next, right? Like what's next, what's next, what's next? What risks are on the horizon? What is a project currently doing wrong versus what it could be doing right? And so what I really like about Kajira is I think there's this sense of like uh, consistent optimism and excitement about what's already been built. And that's like, that's like a bedrock. And that's huge. That's huge for builders because they get to feel the encouragement and the everyday excitement. And they, I think I think the Kajira devs, and I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I think they feed off of that in a really healthy way, that they they feel pushed, they push and and they they work their tails off and their hearts out because they know they have a community that like really appreciates the products. And I think that's such a cool value. I don't know how that got instilled in their community, but it's it's like a it's like a gratefulness and uh, yeah, like it's like a gratefulness and uh, and a humility. Uh, in many ways. Now, there's, of course, there's always like counter forces in any community's culture. That's, that's always the case. But as a whole, hop in the Kajira telegram, wait five days, check your DMs. You'll see there's like 5,000 messages in there. It's like, wow, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy cool. Um, on the shape protocol side of things, I think I think what's really cool about the community is, uh, I think like patience. Um, Shape Protocol didn't ship pretty much anything for like a year and a half, realistically. There was some proof of concept products in the form of bonds, in the form of the secret network staking derivative. But as a whole, like before it entered into this hyperdrive shipping timeframe with Lend, Silk, and Swap, 
and bridge, there was a full year to a year and a half of just quietness. And that's created different character traits in the shape community. I think that a lot of the community, community members are very observant. Um, they're, they're patient, but perceptive because that much time means that the folks that are around during that time are people that are willing to engage in thoughtful conversation without the thing that's being built actually be being right in front of them. So I would say Shape Protocol is a very patient and thoughtful uh, community and that's super special and that's also deeply appreciated. So um, I definitely look forward to as the products grow, as the vision grows, that we would be able to borrow character traits from other communities. But I really appreciate the maturity and patience of the Shape Protocol community. I'd be curious what you like, Red. I would say one one of my favorite things about our community seems to be this. I think people recognize what we're trying to do with the meta engine, with this cohesive, uh, interconnected ecosystem of DeFi applications. People realize the long term value of this, and um, the thing that I personally like uh, the most is that. We have community that is also long-term focused. Um, it's very easy to get caught up with uh, short-term trends and market movements, especially during times of heightened volatility. I mean, crypto in general is volatile um, kind of as a standard, but in heightened volatility during bear markets, um, it's very easy to be focused on the short-term things. And it's been really great to see and this kind of lends itself to what you were saying earlier carter we have people who are focused on the long-term vision here the people who are a part of our community and who have been here for a long time recognize one the value of having uh, private by default DeFi applications they recognize the value whether they're technical or not um you know they might be just more economically focused they might be people who are really trying to squeeze out every drop of value out of their interactions with DeFi so they don't want to have their trades front run or they don't want to have additional risk when it comes to borrowing and lending markets. Having people who recognize the value of privacy applied in DeFi, but also people who share that core ethos, like a, the human-based ethos of privacy as a human right and what it means to be able to empower digital self-sovereignty that also means a lot to me as a person, you know, someone who is a part of the community, someone who is a part of the contributor set, that means a lot to me. And it really helps keep my spirits up, I guess, when it comes to, you know, going, going every day and getting excited about doing what we're doing, uh, knowing that we're doing something for kind of this true greater good. So, but I think, you know, coming from from my viewpoint, it seems like there's a lot of shared ethos and vision when it comes to both the community and contributor set uh, for Kujira and Shape Protocol, um, bringing these ecosystems to life that they've done. One of the one of the biggest commonalities that I see between the protocols is this exceptional drive to create a cohesive and sustainable financial ecosystem. Um, the the approach to creating this sustainability is expected to differ from protocol to protocol slightly. Obviously, Kujira shipped incredibly fast uh, post-Terra crash, and it was actually quite impressive to, to watch um, as someone you know, participating and helping build another set of protocols 
Um, but overall, the message and path is fairly similar. And so, and obviously, this requires a much longer time horizon to see the development through. Um, but but it's kind of one that's demanded longevity. And both the contributors and the Kujira team have, have recognized this. Um, and I kind of want to tie this into something that we've elaborated on fairly well. If anyone has not read the Meta Engine blog post, highly recommend uh, going and checking that out. Uh, but in that blog post that outlines what the Shade Protocol Meta Engine is and its impact, we define a Meta Engine as a set of DeFi primitives that partake in a larger holistic system that includes one single governance token, a unified and growing platform, and a DAO-controlled protocol-owned liquidity um, as a meta engine. And so this sustainable and cohesive set of apps become more powerful due to their shared incentives, this uh, interwoven user experience and interface, shared revenue and liquidity between the participating apps and this is something that I think both Kujira and Shade Protocol have done a good job of setting up. Um, the Kujira ecosystem, they have one governance token, it's Kuji. They have their native stablecoin, USK. It's very similar when it comes to the way that um, the meta engine is set up for Shade Protocol with Shade being the native governance token for Shade Protocol and Silk being the native stablecoin for Shade Protocol. Um, and you know, I think it's obvious to you, Carter, and it's obvious to some of the builders within Shade Protocol team, within the Kujira team, and both communities, but it's not enough to just have efficient dApps or a simple UI UX. There needs to be cohesion for the entire story of these protocols, um, you know, to achieve that longer horizon alignment between their community and the builders. And so I'm curious, Carter, from your perspective, how, <clears throat> you know, looking at the differences between how the Kujira ecosystem is set up and uh, how the Shade Protocol ecosystem is set up. I'm curious, what are some of the things that you think Kujira has done extremely well uh, when it comes to building out this cohesive set of applications and then likewise with uh, Shade Protocol? It's a great question. I think before you can answer that, it's, it's interesting to hop back into a real world analogy, right? We get really caught up in the language of of Web three, so what's really going on? If if we if we bring this back to some, some more grounded examples, I I think you can picture a blockchain or an app as as like a city, right? And so the city the city starts empty. It's it's a blank slate. We'll we'll say there's 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 a wall around this city, and I think like the first three years of DeFi was essentially saying, hey, like, come into this, come into this city and we'll offer you like precisely one good, right? Like if, if, it's, if it's a lending platform, we're just going to do lending. If it's a stable coin platform, we're just going to do stable coins. And, you know, this, this idea of like importing and exporting things works. It works pretty, it works really, really well at scale. But, but there's some problems with, with the bootstrapping piece because if you're trying to you know, build a product, you're actually super reliant on a bunch of other external products and factors. And there's actually a cost attached to that, right? Specifically like stable coins. If, you don't, if, you, if you're building your little city and 
you need to, you know, power your water mill, but you don't own your own water. Well, now you're paying someone else to bring their water into the city to, to power your, your, your water mill. So some, some, some analogy like that, right? And so I think the beauty of what Kajira is doing and what Shade Protocol is doing is it's recognizing that there's like these baseline primitives that if you want to build up an economy, you have to have. And in the world of Web3, you can either rent that out or you can build it yourself. And I think the beauty of the Shade Meta Engine is it's kind of this theory that you can, you can kind of build your way out of it. Um, assuming you can bring in like the user demand, you, can kind of, you kind of build your way out of the sustainability problem if you continue to expand out, cover all of the key primitives, have really, really sharp value capture and, and kind of ripple effects from every time one product is used, ends up creating a ripple effect within this own kind of self-referential containerized DeFi ecosystem. Um, so instead of only having one business inside of the city, we're trying to have 10 businesses. And anytime a customer, you know, buys, buys the pizza, there's three or four other businesses that are impacted tied to that, that pizza that was purchased, right? Um, I'll have to work on my analogies for that, but you, you can roughly get where I'm going with that. And um, so I think there's a huge amount of overlap between Kajira and Shade on the economic side. They're one of the first to innovate on the real yield narrative and actually follow through on it. And um, I think in hindsight, they'll, they'll, there really will be two ways of doing it. You either kind of build out your own cohesive suite or you're a very specific exporter of a service and good. And there's advantages and disadvantages to both. But I think the kind of like, building up the holistic ecosystem is the most predictable way to build towards sustainability. Completely agreed. And if, if we kind of take a look at both the Kujira and Shade Protocol ecosystems, one of the largest drivers for each protocol's respective meta engine is the decentralized stablecoin that stands as the flagship product for its respective ecosystem. Um, and I think there's some really interesting pieces of information that can be pulled from that. One, I think it's obvious to us as builders, and I hope it's obvious to everyone that is here, uh, especially considering everything that's going on right now with U.S. regulations, uh, there's a need, a, a very drastic need for multiple decentralized stable coins, and that need has never been higher. I don't know if anyone has been following uh, any of the unveiling of the SEC's, uh, you know, pending uh, filings against Coinbase or against uh, Binance. But uh, when Gary Gensler was talking on Bloomberg earlier today, he stated, we don't need more digital currency. We already have digital currency. It's called the US dollar. It's called the euro. It's called the yen. Um, and that just kind of, you know, as someone who works in this ecosystem, it obviously, uh, or anyone that's working in this ecosystem, it probably strikes us as a bit more... Uh, a bit more impactful than than some others but i'm curious carter you know what are you kind of thinking about in terms of what we're seeing right now with regulations um with some of the developments we're seeing with decentralized stable coins um you know there's there's a whole lot of developments going on it's often very hard to keep up with everything but i'm curious on some of the thoughts you've had as of late sure so with that specific quote saying, you know, we already have plenty of digital currencies. We already have the euro, the yen, the U.S. dollar. 
I think the mistake in that quote is it's anti-free markets, right? A, a advocate and proponent of free markets would say you want to encourage as many different currencies as possible, be a center point for that liquidity and innovation, and then the United States would, as a whole, strongly benefit from that. And actually, you'd probably see the U.S. dollar still be the center point of decentralized finance if we were able to make the United States a center point of that innovation and for those free markets. But by saying, you know, we already have everything we need, we already have the sovereign currencies that are going to, you know, they're already the best. We already have everything we need. It's just, it's, um, it's sidestepping the power of free markets and human history has kind of shown that open source movements and free markets will win. It's like one of the few things you don't want to bet against is, is, is technology innovation and free markets. Um, it's ironic because the United States is actually, you know, patented that game plan and strategy within its, um, yeah, within its economy. So yeah, that's, that's my, that's my answer to that specific quote in, in terms of like the broader environment. Um, for anyone that was at like consensus in, uh, 2022, the writing was definitely on the wall that definitions were, were inching closer and closer to a place where legal frameworks and drafts for legislations were actually starting to be on the table. I know obviously like Europe has made great strides here. Um, and I think Europe went the more the legislative route and I think the U S is going more heavy handed, um, kind of a, a, a struggle between, you know, different regulatory bodies, whether it's the commodities or the SEC. And so there's a bunch of different incentives in a lot of different directions. But I think none of this is surprising. I actually think it's relieving that the cards are finally on the table. And I have no idea what the next, you know, year and a half looks like on the regulatory front. But this, this was inevitable. Anyone who thought that this battle wasn't going to be had, I would say is a little bit blind to how powerful, you know, the, the interests are of traditional finance in ensuring that there is uh, safety and control, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> tied to all of these things. And um, yeah, I'm relieved that it's out there now. I, I think all we can really do now is build and build and build as fast as we can. Make sure there's flexibility within the tooling to be reactive to compliance demands, whether that means zigging or zagging, if you know what I mean on that front. And um, yeah, the show goes on. 100%. There's not only space, but there's definitely a need for all these different stable coins with varying designs. Obviously, value propositions for each respective stable coin um, can be synergistic, not necessarily uh, competitive. There are lots of different variations for stablecoin designs, and we've actually done a, a pretty decent job of comparing them. If anyone is interested in some of this information, I suggest you go to the forums and look for a forum post titled The Stablecoin Trilemma. It's a really interesting blog post kind of talking about the different designs of stablecoins. But um, Car Carter, considering Silk's unique design, you know, how and th I guess this is somewhat a subjective question, but like, how do you feel uh, considering the outlook for decentralized stablecoins in this industry? And 
you know, considering the unique benefits that silk possesses, um, you know, do do you think that silk is going to be well positioned, um, you know, for changes in sort of global regulations concerning crypto markets? I, I can't predict what, like how, how things are going to evolve on the regulatory front. But what I can say is that we predicted that it would be unpredictable within the design of silk. So at a minimum, we're prepared for silk's weights, for silk's assets that it's tracking to evolve in change and also to have the tooling in place to, to react to whatever emerges. So um, I won't even comment on what I think is going to happen. All I can say is we, we predicted that things would be unpredictable and it's going to be a very interesting next year, year and a half on the regulatory front. And this is when I think Silk has a chance to shine because things can happen. I mean, if there's one thing we've learned from crypto in the last year is that really bad things or negative things can happen super, super quick. And what stable coins are capable of evolving and what stable coins are not capable of evolving. And my horse is that Silk is one of the few that by design years ago thought about this problem of what regulatory bodies would say about, you know, no one can hold this type of stable coin. No one can hold this pegged stable coin. It's like, we're going to be capable of evolving. And um, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out. That's, that's super close to the response I tell most people. Like, one of, you know, one of my personal favorite things about Silk, besides it being private by default, is its adaptability and its reflexivity. Um, you know, we've given this example a few times, but if in the future the the shade token holders want to change the basket to just hold decentralized assets, then that can be so. If we want to focus very specifically on certain commodities, then we can do that in order to adapt to changing macroeconomic environments and regulatory environments. And so um, I completely agree with you, Carter. It's Sometimes there is writing on the wall, but still things can take people by complete surprise. And one of the best things we can do is just be ready to adapt when that time comes. And I think Silk has done a really good job at setting itself up, like you said, uh, to be able to handle basically any sort of change in macroeconomic or regulatory environment. 100%. And I will say it's also kind of vindicated, probably too strong of a word, but when we thought about this problem two years ago, maybe even a little over two years ago, this idea of like, oh, like silk needs to be able to evolve its basket. Right? Very simple sentence. Like this idea of an aggregate stable coin already like didn't exist really two years ago, two and a half years ago. Like it, that, wasn't, that wasn't even a thing, right? So to then be ideating about like, wait a second, we probably should need to evolve this. Like, I just remember as we had discussions about it, it felt like it was a little bit crazy to be thinking that far ahead. And now it's like, wow, what a blessing, right? Like what a, what a blessing that um, those risks were discussed way back then. So to just take it back one step before we open it up to community uh, questions, if anyone has any questions or would like to make any comments, feel free to go ahead and request and uh, we'll bring you up in just a few minutes. But Carter, kind of looking forward, obviously there are a lot of things on the horizon for both Kujira and for 
shade protocol. I know with Kujira, um, a lot of people are really looking forward to the launch of the Sonar wallet. Um, with shade protocol, we've got a few really big things on the horizon. One of those being uh, shade staking and the airdrop. We've got updates to existing products. Um, but when looking at the overarching ecosystem that we've built, are there any pieces of the puzzle that you're going to be um, particularly important, um, but might be less recognized by the general public? Um, you know, Shade Protocol has done a really, really good job, and by no means are we done, but we've done a really good job so far of simplifying the UI UX when it comes to interacting with private dApps. And so anyway, Carter, I'm curious, you know, what do you think are going to be some of the most important pieces of the puzzle going forward over the next few months and, and years? So I got off a call today with someone who is obviously not given names here, but older than 60 years old, um, who we, we've essentially been trying to do user research in kind of the Ethereum ecosystems. Um, this is someone who is a large, large DeFi holder, um, someone familiar with something like Arbitrum, Optimism, and Ethereum. Um, and there was two, two things that were really interesting. First off, this user had barely heard about Cosmos. Second off, this user um, essentially didn't even like the concept of like MetaMask. They don't, they don't even use a MetaMask wallet for, for all the EVM stuff. Um, and we've had a couple conversations like this. We've been doing more and more user research on the Ethereum side. And I think, I think Cosmos drastically overestimates how many people know about it and also drastically underestimate the amount of friction it takes to go from an EVM ecosystem into a Cosmos ecosystem. These are two things that I will be obsessed about the next three months. How can we lower the friction as close to zero as possible on the wallet support side, as well as the education and user experience side? Um, and so you can look forward to seeing those two things be very, 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 very sharp focuses of shade separate from that there's lots of alpha coming and i, I think i had a tweet out that said like the next like eight to ten weeks are going to be like incredibly important one i will leave today although i think i just tweeted about it, is the final airdrop is going to be announced this friday uh staking is in essence done airdrop is in essence done so keep your eyes peeled on friday the final 70 percent of the atom uh, Luna original and secret uh, airdrop of shade is coming and that will co co um, coincide with the launch of shade staking and the uh, meta engine going online. Oh, what a perfect way to round out the end of this Twitter space. Oh man. Personally excited. I know a bunch of other people in this uh, call right now are excited, but I'm going to go ahead and open it up to some questions. I know we've got someone who has requested already ATL bring you up here in just a second. All right, you should be good to speak. How's it going? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I've just got one question. Uh, will Shade slash Secret be compatible with Kajira's Sonar Wallet? Ooh, that's a super cool question. Um, so I guess I, I, I can leak a little bit of this alpha here. Um, Shade Protocol is working on a super generalized wallet integration framework. Um, a lot of 
frameworks around integrating wallets are too opinionated. And what I mean opinionated is they allow for integration of like, oh, like this wallet follows this API format. Um, so if you if you match like Kepler's wallet style, then we can integrate you. If you don't, sorry, that's like a custom solution we're gonna have to make. And therefore there's gonna be like a lot of friction to integrating with you. But we built out this extremely abstracted out framework for integrating wallets that breaks down the functions of a wallet into things like, oh, like you're gonna, you know, sign, like how signing works on wallets is a very abstracted out concept. And the TLDR is we'll be able to integrate any wallet in all of crypto, any wallet. It's, a, it's as neutral and unopinionated as a format could possibly be. And I actually think this is one of the most innovative things that Shade's done in the last year. Like it's, it's gonna be a really, really big deal. So I'll say this on a Twitter space, none of you should tweet this out. If you did, I, I wouldn't be mad. But um, the race is on for first ever kind of uh, non-EVM MetaMask integration in, in Cosmos. We're, 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 we're looking to get that done. And it will make onboarding something like Sonar Wallet um, very, very doable. Well, thank you very much for answering my question. Thanks for asking it. That was, that was my exact response as well. <laughs> uh, we've got an, another request up here, Carter, uh, from Sergeant Kuji. Bring him up. Looks like he's trying to connect. He's got an amazing PFP. I hope we can get him up there. <laughs> there we go. Sergeant Kuji, you should be good to ask your question. Hey, what's going on, guys? Can you hear me? 100%. Love your PFP, sir. Oh, yeah. We're we're rocking here, you know. Um, I'm a United States citizen, and you guys seem to be very knowledgeable about stable coins and whatnot. I'm, I'm really just a holder for the most part. But, you know, with all this U.S. regulation coming in, I'm sitting here just, just you know, holding my bags ripping tight, et cetera. And what can you guys say to like, I just don't understand why Gary Gensler in the United States can't sort of just do an outright ban of stable coins right now. Why can't, why can't they say like, Hey, United States citizens, if you guys hold USK, like F you, we're going to come after you. Um, so if you can speak a little bit to that, just, just out the front and there might be some follow-ups from that. Sure. It's a, it's a, it's a good, it's a good scenario to run through and everyone should probably run through it at some point. Whatever answer I give here is, this is more, how should I say this? Don't, don't take this as, as legal advice or some form of reality. This is just like an opinion. Um, if, okay, crypt, crypto is, is, is bigger than people think at this stage. It's small, but it's big. 10% uh, of Americans hold crypto in some capacity. So we're, we're, we're talking about one in 10 Americans have put some amount of capital uh, into crypto. And there's also like, you know, Coinbase, for instance, is a publicly traded company. So this means that there are very large financial players that have put real money into it as a stock. So anything that's going to outright ban something, which it'd be difficult... First off, like logistically, 
the censorship properties make it very difficult to confiscate crypto. That's like by, by, by design, right? Also, the like wallet correlation piece is also very difficult. And if the further away you get from uh, like Ethereum, the, the harder and the less mature a lot of the wallet correlation to identity stuff gets. It's still scary, scary good, which is why we value <laughs> privacy as a as a uh, protection and as a tool for for freedom and sovereignty. Um, so as a whole, like logistically, be very, very hard for them to do. Right. Secondly, there's a huge amount of um, demographic that partakes in this, and so you're essentially nuking their investments, their money that they've put into this uh, put into this space, and also, they're the you know the SEC. They're they're not a legislative body, right? They they can bring people to court under allegations, and they have a a lot of power, and that that's been granted to them. But Congress is ultimately who the SEC answers to at the end of the day. So, if anyone was going to outright ban crypto, it would probably be some sort of legislation. And you know, we like to hate on legislative bodies and politics but the the beauty is you know it, there's there's conflicting interests there's people that are pro crypto uh there's people that are against crypto and so the odds of an all out outright ban of crypto i think is unlikely and i think what we're we're seeing the second best thing which is operation choke point 2 which is kill all the centralized entities and replace them with kind of the you know, the JP Morgan, whatever the next wave of centralized entities that come in and get to essentially play God as the on-ramps, I, I, think, that's, I think that's the game plan. They, they want a diamond hand control over the, uh, or an iron grasp over the on-ramps because holding on to, to control. So anyways, hopefully that answers a couple of your questions. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely helpful for sure. Um, another thing that I was just thinking about is is I think projects, one of them may be Archway, um, and the airdrops that those projects offer you can't get in the US because of like an IP ban. And is that coming from the company side or is that coming from like a governmental side? I shouldn't say company side, like the, the project side, or is that coming from like a United States server or something like that i could you just speak a little bit to that point sure so to my knowledge the way this typically works is projects want to reduce their their legal target right so if, if they're offering a good and service to u.s consumers then their services and goods fall under u.s regulations so People mm -hmm. that essentially are IP blocking U.S. folks, they're trying to reduce the legal attack service on the protocol and on the DAO that's governing it. They're, they're trying to not draw attention to themselves. Uh, unfortunately, this ends up making it so that a huge consumer base can't access it easily, and most of them will probably potentially use VPNs. And it gets really messy because um, like if a legislative body looks at these types of, like, well, we geo-blocked them, um, there's been cases where people have geo-blocked, but these regulatory bodies don't care because if you teach people or educate them in any capacity on how to get around the firewall, then you've essentially removed any sort of protection you may have given the project by trying to geo-block U.S. folks. 
So it's, in my opinion, off the records, on, well, I suppose this is technically on the record. Uh, I guess I can say this. I, I don't think there's too much of a point to the geo blocks. I think it's, it's a, I think it's pretty hand wavy. I think it's more of listening to lawyers than understanding the reality of if a regulatory body is coming for you, they're coming for you, you know? Yeah, that's this. It's just all very interesting to me. Um, and I guess somewhat reminiscent of the good old days of like LimeWire and Napster and things like that. My non-technical brain always, always goes back to those, to that sort of thinking of like, all right, like how did that eventually evolve? And it was, it was all decentralized LimeWire and Napster. And now we have things like uh, Spotify, which is like a, a paid service that you pay $10 or whatever for every song in the universe. So that sort of evolution I could see happening in crypto. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but um, I keep going to that for hope in a way, I think. Oh, 100%. I think the the history of the internet lends itself to the fact that open source movements are really hard to completely stamp out. And if anything, like there's just so much value to be, to be had there. One I always like to talk about is like encryption. There was a serious movement to ban any form of like encryption tied to internet uh, packets in many ways. And, you know, we ended up fighting for it. Businesses fought for it. Different PhD folks fought for it because there's a huge amount of value in protecting consumer data. And that movement ended up winning, right? HTTPS, upper left corner of your browser, right? Like that represents a hard fought battle um, over an attribute that one side could say is nefarious and the other side can say is a protection. And I think in a similar way, these attributes of self-custodial wallets, um, like the government, like you, you, you walk around with a wallet, right? Like with cash, it, it, it's like these, these are things that are already accepted practice. And we're just trying to create the digital version of that level of freedom. And, and I think Technology built on the principles of freedom will win out. I, I think um, free markets win, innovation wins. It's how painful the journey has to be and how much the United States can benefit from it is, is up to its regulatory bodies. It's up to voters. That's up to, up to legislative bodies. Um, but builders and users, you know, it's, I guess it's up to us to continue to um, bravely trod into uncharted territories. Yeah, nice. That's all very thought-provoking. So, um, so far, been a nice space to listen to. So, thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for hopping up and asking some thoughtful questions. Yeah. We've got one more request, and then we'll close this out. I know we said this was going to be a 30-minute space. Uh, ended up being an hour. Uh, but bring up our last question, or our last guest wants to speak here. Oh, you are on. Well, before he speaks, I'd like to say one thing. Um, KYC is anti-DeFi. Thank you. Up, uh, if you're trying to speak, you are muted. Just a heads up. Right, they got it. They also have an awesome PFP. Take a look here. It's a little crow thing over here. Maybe it's Trader Crow related. Who knows? They have some anti anti Gary Gensler tweets on their timeline. So I'm guessing they're going to ask about the SEC situation. That's fair. 
Well, we'll give them a give them another minute or so, uh, just in case they are having connection issues. But I just want to thank everyone who joined us today for this conversation. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of really, really interesting synergies between the Kajir community and the Shade Protocol community, and the launching of the USK Silk Pair on Shade Swap is, you know, just the first step that we're taking um, in unlocking the synergies between. Um, between these ecosystems, I know I'm pretty sure Kujira tweeted out that Silk is going to be coming over to Bow very soon, which will be and a really a really amazing thing and milestone for Shade Protocol. Uh, Carter, correct me if I'm wrong, but this will be the first cross-chain utility unlocked for Silk. Um, Silk going to Kujira. Yes, it's one of the first. I think there's technically like a very small Silk frontier tool, but this will be the first like incentivized cross-chain initiative and then you can keep your eyes peeled for umi the commonwealth forum post for silk listing one up there there's api api integration stuff oracle stuff in the works there so silk's first money market would be really cool and then there's also a commonwealth forum post that one up uh, on the window forums as well to get a wind x silk uh, pair as well so silk is definitely going interchain this month and uh, look forward to hopefully getting it out to the broader um, Cosmos ecosystem. AT, I see your hands up before you talk up is unmuted. So we'll see if they want to say something. If not, then feel free to hop in here. Up, do you got anything to say? Oh, it's showing him as not even oh, a speaker for me never anymore. Mind. All right, AT, feel free to go for it. And then I do have to uh, hop here. Okay, uh, just a short question. Will PAXG be listed on Shade? Because I'd love to have some private gold. I, I missed the acronym there. He's asking about PAX oh, G. Oh, PAX G. On... Wow. Well, we're on the same wavelength here. I'll say this. Um, the alpha I can leak there is we may or may not have pinged the Axelar team about PAX G's support, and it may or may not be live. So I'll I'll let you let your imagination run wild why we care about PAX G. So, yes. And with that, that's a killer way to end this Twitter space. Thank you all for joining today. Really appreciate seeing all of you turn out for this discussion. And we'll be, like Carter said at the beginning of this, we're going to be uh, setting up another Twitter space with the Kujira team when they are a bit more available. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was USK Silk Pools coming to Shade Protocol. Recorded on Tuesday, June 6th, 2023. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Now if you want to keep listening, head on over to TerraSpaces.org slash donate and show some support now. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's just like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably it kind of starts to happen. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's just like the more.
more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want. Inevitably, it kind of starts to happen. Tripping on the bird app, listening to nerds flap, wondering why the fuck my timeline's so cursed. It's like everybody's holding heavy bags in Web 3. That's why they can't fly, they just drowning in the bird bath. Fishing for some dry powder, watch how we ignite the tower. Blowing up their bank accounts, forgetting how to fight the power. Y'all don't even realize how deep this shit goes. They preaching open sauce, but don't listen to the code. And now it's mutiny, community uprise. There's no more humility, futility, plus size. Motherfuckers leaking from the wrench down to the bare metal. Which side of the line you bleeding out on when the dust settles? Motherfucking west side shit, needle and noose. Sticking with my armory, Yam, Beto, and Bruce. Repping psychedelic artistry, believing the truth. Like these motherfuckers even need a reason to sue? GM fam. Is it really worth all the fighting? Is it really worth all the drama? And the answer, I think, is a clear no. They started using Zoom, now we finna zoom out Teaching all these plebidites what this game's really all about Little baby bitches when they choose to have fits All you're left with is kibble when you lose all them bits And that kibble's just sawdust, this shit is all rust Not a great look, you're what we call all nuts And I for one did not see that coming Cracking open books, yo, that's a lot of money Meanwhile over here rewiring features More critical thinking, less knee jerk More evolution, less shit corn Preachers pretending to be teachers Y'all just predatory leeches I mean please, just look at the track record A bunch of VC rap fucks Sucking up the cheddar, the recipe is two steps Rinse and repeat Now we all in your butts And we bring in receipts GM fam, have a seat If you're listening to this, my, my plea to you, you would be like don't have, don't, don't have to take a side on it Just say like, is it really, is it really worth this war of attrition? It might cost us a lot more than what can be gained by like fighting this to the better end. And sometimes it's better to just like move on. Ten spaces. <laughs>